let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions and we're back in your ears once again. The beer is in the glass and we're ready to go, aren't we, Martin? Yep, evening, Steve. Um, yeah. And a bit of a Belgian-y theme to our beer choices this evening as well. Yeah, a little bit. And also, as we just remarked, as we were putting the beer in the glass, all bottles as, as yes. well, which is something we haven't done for... Actually, I was just about to say something we haven't done for a while. And then I just remembered that the last show was Little Earth Project and that was all bottles as well. That was all bottles. But it's still a, it's still probably a minority of all our shows recently. Uh, they are very much the minority these days. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly cans now that yeah, we, we feature, definitely. isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, what could go wrong with drinking some Belgian beers? Because they're going to be nice and light, aren't they? They're not going to be heavy on ABV. What is it that we're drinking this week, mate? Well, we've got six different beers between us, which is, again, a bit unusual. Um, I'm starting off with a a beer called Tongolo Lux. It's a Belgian blonde at, coming in at 6%. And I think it's from the Hacked Brewery. I may, I've probably said that wrong because that's what that's what we do. Hacked or Hucked Brewery, Browery, um, stable of breweries and beers, isn't it? Because I think you've all of our beers are from Hacked, aren't they? That They are, but and, and we'll come on to this because... They're all from the same brewery, but they're all kind of from different brands yes. within that same brewery. That, so I'm saying like the umbrella or the stable. I, the I, I think words? they're all produced by Hacked. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm starting with a beer called Primus, and this one purely says on it, uh, Hacked, brewed and bottled in Belgium. It's a 5.2% premium lager. Of, of Belgian origin. So I'm expecting everything that you would expect from a Euro lager, really. Well, should we dive in? Let's. Cheers. Cheers. I might have to dive in twice because I've got a very large frothy head on this one. Okay, well, while you're tunneling your way through that, that, that froth <laughs> that's at the top of your glass there, I'm just going to jump straight in. Um, yeah, it's mine is a, it's a straight up lager. There's uh, a little bit of sweetness on on the initial taste that gives way to a crisp finish. There's not really much else to say about it, really. It's it's just a lager. Yeah, I I, I tried that one as well, uh, the Primus, and yes, I mean it was nice. There was nothing wrong with it. There was nothing to say. Oh, I wouldn't have it again. But there was nothing to write home about either. No, and and it's not. Uh, there's no Belgian characteristics to, to it. So there's none of those Belgian esters or anything like that going on. It's just, it's a straight up lager. Which, unlike your one, my one is basically a Belgian golden ale, a Belgian blonde. Um, it has stuck some of those characteristics on the, the flavour and the nose. So there is a little bit of sweetness on the flavour. There's a little bit of fruity esters on the nose. But like a lot of those beers that sit in that six to seven percent range and are generally just the blondes or the golden ales it's immensely drinkable very well carbonated hence the frothy head as well but belies that six and a half percent doing doing what the belgians do very well yeah hiding yeah. that big abv um so yeah the, the tongolo opener and i i've got all three beers up from tongolo for me tonight so uh, listeners assume that it probably goes up in ABV or stays at the same place if I'm starting on a six and a half or six percent. Um, 
yeah, it's really nice. It's really easy to drink. It's the sort of beer I would have, one of the first beers I would have when I land in, when I next land in Belgium, that yeah. just refreshing golden ale. Now, the, the, the Tongalo brand is their version of Abbey-style owls, isn't it? So they're, they're not allowed yes. to call them Trappist because they don't qualify under the, the, the Trappist rules, um, but they are in the Abbey style, aren't they? Definitely, definitely. This, is, that, this puts me in mind of those kind of beers straight away. They're the lower end of their ABV scale. So, yes, I, it's, it's, a weird, it's a bit of a weird one. Um, and maybe we'll get onto it when you get onto one of your other beers. The branding on the Tongalo is okay, but I think the branding on some of yours, Steve, if I remember correctly, is a little bit either deliberately retro or just old. Well, well, well the Primus, which is what I'm drinking now, uh, looks like it's straight out of the 80s in, in terms of its labelling. And the, the beers I'm going to be drinking later on, which are from their Super 8 brand, are very very simple branding um but i'm um, it's, it's this whole thing about all of these different brands under the one heading because i'm just i'm just looking on their their website now and um they've got a range of beers called charles quint which look like they are very traditional style um beers then they've got mystic they've got super eight they've got tongalo They've got Primus and then they've got Adler as, as, as well. That's a lot of different brands for one brewery to produce, isn't it? Yeah. And going back to that one, one of the first ones you said, that Charles Quint, those beer styles underneath that brand are, are quite similar to some of the Tonglo ones as well. Yeah. So I can only imagine it, they've basically just bought these up as they've gone along, haven't they? Well, yeah, again, um, from their website, it says we're a true Belgian family run brewery now led by the fourth generation. And we specifically chose to stay independent. So that would suggest that the hacked brewery are indeed independent. And I think maybe what they've just tried to do is to um, put out different ranges that are purposely under different styles to match or, what's well, they could still they could still be a family-run brewery and have taken over other ones though isn't that essentially what duval have done yeah they've, they've bought up other brands under the duval Mortgat, haven't they yeah exactly interestingly uh brewery hacked also produced the mns belgian lager as well oh okay so there must must be quite a sizable concern then as well as if they're actually brewing all of these beers over in one place then yes, they may be family run, but they can't be small, surely. No, they've they've got to have quite the um, quite the output and quite the the, the storage space for lo- lots of different styles of beer as well. Yeah, I mean, they, and they do have a. There is a lot of stuff underneath their range. Interestingly, I just found one which says non-alcoholic beer, but comes in at one point two percent, which is a bit of a curiosity. I'm not sure if okay. you class it as non-alcoholic. We certainly not over here. No, that's low alcohol, isn't it? Yeah, but may different rules for Europe, possibly. Yeah, could be. Um, they've got a, a Kaiser Extra Sturp 14. It's a Pilsner, 14%. Oof. <laughs> why haven't I got that one? That's, 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 that's all I'm going to say. Why, why have I got the 5.2% lager? I want, I want the 14% Pilsner, please. Heaviest beer from the Kaiser family. 
and it appears to still be around somewhere because it's comes out it was someone checked it in on untapped 20th of january 2022 so i suppose it's probably a good time to say that hacked um have provided the beers for us yeah well they it they, they kind of gave us the beers in, in in two batches almost didn't they because i know at one of the beer festivals that you went to last year you were invited along to a tasting that they were hosting weren't you yeah one of the, had one of the stands at brew london so that worked out really well apart from that bit where they say oh you can take the beers home with you and thinking oh shit it's bottles it's going to be in my rucksack now it would just weighed me down, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be ungrateful. So yes, and then I think you got yours quite some time after. So we've actually been trying to align when we've had the beers and they fit on the show. Yeah, and we've always kind of been of that mindset that they're they're Belgian beers, they're gonna be all right for a while, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're not going they're not going off anytime soon while we're working through these first ones let's get into what how listeners have been saying about the show let us know write it down let us know write it down let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness write it down so first up from sophie that's so beer blogger and uh, just referring back to our review of 2021 so our last show of the year just finished a review of 2021 episode, which kept me smiling during my wintry walks to work. Cheers for the mention, and you guys are right. Nothing compares to the experience of being in a pub, but it has been great to be able to escape to the shed during a tricky year, and I'm looking forward to starting next week with the latest episode to get me through the upcoming chilly commutes. From Jolly Beer Boy, absolutely loved the first episode of 2022. Two pals chatting, but more than that, two pals who, like me, are fans of the show and fans love nothing more than breaking down the show on the show. Enjoy getting into your feelings about the show. On the rant issue, particularly Martin's rants are always a highlight for me, but I don't feel like there's a lack of them at all. In fact, I think I counted too many ones before you even started discussing the rant situation. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you might have gone off quite quickly on that first <laughs> first episode of the year about, about something. I can't remember what it was about now. Do you remember what it was about? No, but I think there's another one being referred to soon, and I remember what that one was. Actually, was it about um, oh, Axe Edge? Yeah, it was about Buxton back, and, and, and Axe Edge, wasn't it? You wasn't you, you was very unhappy about how how it seems to have changed. Yeah, well, was that the last show? No, that was the that was the show before the last one. So that was the the, the our, our oh. first show. Of, yes, of when this we year. when we did the, we picked up the beers from the supermarket and the Brit Hop prompted yeah. that, didn't it? Yeah. 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 Interestingly, before we read out the next comment, someone did tag me in. I think Graham McKeegan tagged me into someone's post who regularly buys a case of Axe, Axe, um, Axe Edge. In the glass, it did look like Axe Edge of old. And the, the guy who bought it was waxing lyrical about it and how, how much he still loved it. And I had to admit, the last Axe Edge I had in the glass didn't look like that. It's interesting, isn't it? How it's it's possibly an ever developing recipe, maybe just just to keep up with trends, or a bit like some breweries, maybe they've gone through a phase where things weren't working properly or things weren't landing right. Who knows? Because I, I, we've had brewery, we've had beers and breweries in the past. And we've gone, that's not that's not great. And but other times, people have then had same beer from the same brewery and gone, they've loved it. So, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. And, you know, maybe at some point, maybe, like I said, if I ever get around to visiting Buxton, doing a bit of a Buxton and Bakewell double up, I should go and try it, see what it's like on tap. 
Yeah, well, you're not, you're not, not going to go to the Buxton tap room, are you, if you're in Buxton? No, I'd definitely go. Yeah. Definitely go. Try from the source, for, for oh. sure. Um, continuing on that rant theme, then, uh, <laughs> Michael from Mick McGrorty, uh, loving Martin's rant at the start of the latest show. My thoughts, 100%, obviously, once again, in, in reference to those Axe Edge comments. And then from Austin at Beer Tweeting, uh, you did pick up another American listener in me but I'm living in Dublin these days. Thanks for turning me on to the likes of Thornbridge as I get stuck in with a new-to-me beer scene. Love the show. Amazing work, guys. Uh, thanks a lot, Austin. And thanks for updating us as to where you are in the world as, as well, <laughs> because I think we had assumed that you were still on the West Coast of, of, yes. of America. So uh, maybe talking to you through slightly less green-tinted glasses these days. Definitely. From James at Gammon Baron, appreciate your candidness over what works and what doesn't. Although I always hold a candle for the prize this prize, it's good to innovate to keep you guys interested. Glad you reinforced you do this as a hobby. Some requests seem to ask you for the world. And I've got to say, we had, um, particularly around that regeneration show uh, at the first show of the year, we did have quite a lot of comments offline. As, as well and obviously I won't name names because there's there's a reason why people did it offline yeah but a, a lot of people seem to, to to share James sentiment there that a, a lot of a lot of our listeners seem to get it's a hobby for, for for us and and we're maybe expecting things from us that as hobbyists we simply can't produce so again I suppose just just to reinforce that really that we we do this because we enjoy doing it um it's a lot of fun for martin and i to to, to produce these the, these shows and have a few beers on a monday night and it's, it's certainly been a way of us staying connected over the last couple of years as as, as well and and i think yeah we'll it will remain a hobby we've got no intentions to to take this in any other direction no not at all but and yes we did appreciate those offline comments as well because it, it did help us to know we were sort of still on the right track as well which I, I, I definitely appreciated from my own personal point of view. From Points of Brew, just polished it off, and it was a very open and honest chat, which was nice to hear. Agreeing your points, trying to keep things relevant and engaging to keep build listenership is easier said than done. Look forward to 2022 and what's in store. Mark Johnson, very much enjoyed the S&M action. I hope you keep making the show that you want to going forward and don't feel pressured into forced change. For what it's worth, I did notice the lack of Sunday polls, but just thought you were having an understandable Christmas rest. From Lou on Brew, really enjoyed the latest show. Hearing your thoughts on the feedback shows just how much you care about what you're doing. Can't believe it's almost 10 years. Can't remember exactly when I started listening, but I don't think I've missed too many. Yeah, I think I think Lou has been with us for a very long time. I I remember her being one of the the first kind of handful of people that used to get involved on a regular basis, just just commenting on things on on, on Twitter. You kind of you kind of pick up those that, that that have always kind of commented sort of thing. Um, she was definitely listening before I became a listener of the Old Beer O'Clock Show. So yeah, her and a few others have definitely been in there pretty much for the long haul, mate. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's it's great to hear that sort of uh, feedback. And in in terms of Mark's comments about the polls, we are going to revisit that again a, a little bit later. Um, it is something that's that, that's going to keep coming up for for uh, a couple of shows until we, we land on something that is is, is right for us again. I, I think. 
looking at some of the comments from the last show, which was the show we did with Little Earth, the fumbling around in the dark episode. Uh, first up from Pete at Hops and Hoops. Lovely chat with a great brewery. I really need to arrange some time where I can use my mum's house in West Norfolk as a base and have trips to all the great breweries around East Anglia. Can't believe he hasn't done that already, if I'm honest with you. If you've got if you've got a potential base in the area, why why are you not using that? Yeah, definitely worth doing that. You'll still have to put the mileage in um, because it's still a quite a wide surface area to cover, but you'll be a lot closer than you probably are now. Uh, from Richard Taylor at Rich Taylor 1608, a really informative and interesting show featuring a fantastic brewery. I've had se- several Little Earth Project beers over the years and they've all been fantastic. So great to have them on, them on my doorstep and we'll be visiting their pub very soon. Now, what I think I didn't say on, on the last show is actually I wanted to thank Rich because if it, if it wasn't for, for me being in the Vic on, on an evening, I think it was the evening where I was extensively researching the elusive brew Cask Oregon Trail, that, that Danny and Tom actually came into the pub to drop off some beers. And it was because of that that Rich introduced me to them and we got chatting and that's how that podcast come about. So thanks, thanks for introducing us, Rich. Appreciate that. And then from Kevin Stroke Vinny, at Vinny UK. So I'm not sure if it's Kevin or Vinny or, or, or both. So Kevin, Vinny, let us know which one we, sh- we should be talking to you as <laughs> had to crack open a farmhouse lager after listening to this week's show. Bought at the White Horse during an overnight stay this summer. Highly recommended for an amazing weekend away. And, and Kevin, Vinny had included a, a, a picture of the farmhouse lager, which I, I think for me on that last show was was the real standout and, and, and a beer that I would happily return to over and over again. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was delicious. I could do, do a few pints of that after a bit of a walk in the countryside. Yeah, easily. And then the final comment this week is just, just a bit of general feedback on the show. This is from Matt Callaby at Callaby Matt. Uh, like many at my age, I started out drinking crappy lager in pubs. So my affinity to lager is lacking at best. But the Beer O'Clock show has made me look again. And I'm glad they did. This utopian churney is another, is another level amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that a little bit of what we do resonates with people sometimes. And it, it makes them search out new beers to try and and maybe change some of their views that they they may have on particular styles yeah definitely and you know we've said it over especially over the last two years um the you know the referencing to lager can be quite off-putting not and probably for us as well sometimes but there are some amazing breweries putting out some amazing lagers and Cernay is just a, a, one very very excellent example of that so there are plenty to look at. Go, go Matt, go have, a, have a listen to the lager special. If that doesn't get you ordering a few more, I don't know what will. Oh, absolutely. And I think, did you see the little teaser over the weekend of the, the new beer from Utopian that's being released soon? Yeah, I did. So, you know. Mm, I'm very excited for that. <laughs> Really looking, forward to what, really looking forward to what they've come up, this, uh, come up with this time that's, that's again dark. Because uh, I think a few people suggested, oh, have, have you done a smoked beer? And they were like, no, we've not gone there yet. I, I'm very, very excited to see what this this new lager is that they've got coming out um, in, in the next few weeks. I'm guessing that's probably going to be to tie in with their birthday. Their birthday's in March, isn't it? Yeah, it's around about it's around about the end of February, start of March, isn't it? So yeah. um, I'm, sh- well, I'm put, put, my, put my neck on the line here. I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be really good. I reckon so. I, I think if you look at everything else they've produced so far, you, you know, there's there's not a bad beer there, is there? <laughs> let's, let's let's be honest. If there is, I, it's, it's one of the few I haven't tried then. 
yeah yeah but no looking forward to trying that and and, and again just keep those comments coming uh tell us what you think about the show use the hashtag opinions and we will find you and we will do our best to feature you on a future episode now what have we been up to mate since the last um show where it was just you and i or, or as we like to refer to them the us shows the us shows rather than the s and m shows mark okay yeah, yeah i think we prefer the us shows yeah or even m and s i've had a few i've had a few trips out um had some nice beers at home and that's where i'm sort of going to start on on the beery catch-up um i finally managed to persuade mrs oates that beers in the cellar and beers on the foot of the shelf could be drunk so I think we've had this as a bit of an on, a bit of an ongoing discussion in recent months, you know, about the the aging of beers and when's that sweet spot. And I still had some Fuller's beers back to the early two thousand mark, the early two thousands. And I had a two thousand and six, which was my starting point of a journey for the Fuller's Vintage Ales, on my fiftieth last year. And it was dead. It was tasted horrible. There was no life. I had looked after it, but I don't know where it had been for a number of years before it got to my shelf. Uh, it was gone. Um, so we've done the 2002, 2004 and a 2006 over the last, like almost in like a cellar Sunday, picking out a couple of special beers. And I am, I was pleased that all three of those were not like the 2006 disappointment of uh, 2021. Um, still really enjoyed them, but the 2006, in my mind, that I first discovered, and I was able to buy at reasonable prices in Fuller's pubs before like 2015, um, I had very fond memories of, and they would have been around that 10 year point, which I'm pretty certain is when a, a, a certain Mr. Keeling has said that's it. They start to tail off. Mm. Um, so I think what we've now got up to is we're getting into the 2010 plus range now. So I still got a few more I want to get through, but I also decided about what's the point. There's no point in just carrying on aging and aging and aging. And sometimes some of the best experiences of the Fuller's beers or some barley wines have been when they're fresh and young as well. And yeah. I generally really enjoy them. Um, and especially some of the Fuller's, like the 2018, for example, I think this one we always hold up as a bit of a shining light. That was amazing straight away. You know, it's not like it hasn't had a bit of time already by the time we have it. Yeah, and I've, I think I've I've drunk the 2018, I think pretty much every year since it's been released. And there's no sign of, of that beer deteriorate in any way at the moment it just it just gets better every year i drink that one yeah the, the 2018 is a is a standout it's a real standout so we've been sort of dipping into that so we've been doing a few of the fuller's beers um and then also just a few of the other big beers which we put in the cellar that are you know oh that's fine they'll, they'll age there comes a point where i do want to drink them so those sort of Sunday drinks, which we're sharing, we've been trying to do a bit more on the, on the quality in the ABV rather than the quantity for a Sunday. And then it'll be sort of, um, Michelle certainly will stop around about the time she has dinner. So it's plenty of time between then and obviously work the next day. Um, 
had a couple of destroys. Is it destroys or destroys or Strauss? I think it's destroys. Destroys. So I had a couple of destroys. One which was absolutely superb. Black Damnation Two Mocha Bomb. Thirteen uh, percent Russian Imperial. Um, I had it as a bottle share back in 2019. So November 2019. Oh, I mean, that would have been only a few before it all went mm. to shit. Um, and I've written that right there. Another cork of the beer last night. Super smooth with the ABV well hidden by the coffee and chocolate. Oh, the winner. Um, had it again. Absolutely the same thoughts. It was absolutely delicious. That Just that use of the, of the coffee element of it and but not making it too much in any one direction that was that was really good um and i tried recently we visited a couple of the uh one of the trip in the woods from sierra nevada so the vintage bigfoot over over at my friend carl's he put a couple of these to one side and uh this was the uh vintage bigfoot a combination of one, two, and three-year Kentucky bourbon barrel-aged. Oh, but goodness. It does feel different, and you do get uh, the oak, the vanilla coming through as well. But i tell you what I did really enjoy, and uh, slightly less ABV, so that was also good, was the Sierra Nevada collaboration with Russian River. Now, that's, that's, always, that always, that's a good starting point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, the brew domesticated wild ale, 8.3%. It was just really, um, it's the eighth year release, but it was just nice and it was fruity. It wasn't too funky, but didn't feel like too wild. It was a very measured wildness to it, but very accomplished, very complex still, and literally just really, really tasty. And we, I think we had that shortly after we'd had dinner. So it was a really nice way to finish off that part of the evening as well um didn't really need to have the barley wine but we still did it so yeah that's a, that's a few of the like the, the beery highlights um as you're um speaking of big beers how's your 50 for 50 going steve i'm, I'm still plowing my way through it uh brilliantly this week i i had a little double check of my spreadsheet and i realized that i don't actually have enough beers to, to complete it how can you uh, <laughs> Yeah. Even using a spreadsheet, you manage not to get fifty beers on there. Yeah, I'm a I'm a few beers short, so um, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna either have to do one of two things, uh, and that's dig a little deeper into the cellar to to, to see what's uh, at the back that I might want to include um, as part of this, because obviously part part of the fifty beers for fifty years project, so to speak, is to also clear my cellar down uh, a, a little bit, much the same as you. It's What's the point in continuing to keep these beers if they're tasting good? Just enjoy them and, you know, drink for the moment, so to speak. Enjoy it now. So the idea is, is to try and get the cellar down. So I might have to have a little look in the back of the cellar and see what's in there. Or I might have to have a, a, a bit more of a look at some events that are coming up and some trips away that are planned for this year to see if, if, if while I'm out on those sort of beery adventures to, to see if there's a there's a great beer that I think is is kind of worthy more in a time and place type thing rather than something I've saved for an occasion. Uh, so a bit like you've done with Ghost Ship and Jaipur then? Yes. When you've had Ghost Ship at the Soul Bay Inn and you had the Jaipur at the tap room. Yeah, yeah. So that that sort of thing. So yeah, but I can't believe I I, I, I totted up. <laughs> 
and I, I counted up how many spaces I had left and how many beers were still to come out. And I was like, ah, I'm four short. Oops. Brilliant. What am I going to do? Um, so, so, so yeah. Uh, but some of the highlights recently um, are I did uh, a side-by-side of Adnam's Tally Hose, one from 2014 and, and a more recent one from 2020. So, so the 50, 50 beers for 50 years entrant was the 2014, but I happened to have a fresh, fresher one as well. And I thought, let's do these side by side. Um, and again, the fresher one um, was much better than the, the, the 2014. The 2014, had, it was beginning to taste old. So it musty and dusty. Yeah, musty. I think I actually used the word musty in my untapped checking of, of it. Yeah, that's how I felt about Tally Ho. I don't think it does. Personally, I actually don't think it ages brilliantly. Personally, I'm not the greatest fan of Tally Ho. I don't know why I keep buying it uh, um, because it's it's all right. But I think it's a beer that probably shines if you find it on cask which I did once when I had it at uh, on Christmas Day, a few miles outside of Southall visiting the family. And I'm so glad I did this because I don't know the next time I will do it, but went to a crowded pub <laughs> in December 2019 and um, had a, obviously, pint of ghost ship, first thing I did, and they had um, a small barrel of tally-ho and had it fresh. And I, I did really enjoy it, I, I'll be honest. Yeah, I imagine it just has a bit more body to it from from, from draft. Um, yeah, it had a really lovely feel to it, and and I felt like I was getting more of what it was maybe trying to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad beer. I just I just don't think it's one for me. I think I just think that the thing that always lets it down for me is I always think it's going to be a bit thicker on 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 the body. Uh, but it, and then it's not, and then <laughs> it's not. Yeah, and and then it's and then it's light, and you're like. Oh. I was expecting a bit more. So, so, yeah, that was one of the more recent ones I did. But one of the real highlights from the more recent beers was I did uh, Fuller's Imperial IPA. So this was from the original bottling of that beer back in 2017. 10.5%. That's the green label, green box? Green, green box. So similar sort of packaging to your Fuller's Vintage Ale. Uh, lovely green box. Oh, it was still the old style bottle and, and also had the kind of paper sticker over the top of the cap as well. Opened that up and, oh boy, was that delicious. That has gone full on barley wine. It's got these big sort of, oh, all I can describe as kind of big fruity, but like dark fruity notes to it. And then there's a, a subtle bitterness that just hangs around in the background that then comes through on the finish. And then the thing that comes to the fore the most with it was kind of a pepperiness on, on the finish. And it, I, was, I was interested to read actually on the bottle that they included black pepper in, in the brew of that. That was, that. that was an adjunct that they put in it. And I think that's begun to really change the complexity of that beer because i know that we both had that when it was when it was first released so Loved we had it. it fresh so to speak yeah five years on mate that that beer was absolutely stunning uh i'm a little bit it's one of those having having said what i said about drink for the moment <laughs> and trying to get through my cellar i'm kind of thinking oh, i wish i hadn't have drunk it because i've got no more of those now 
But then at the same point, I'm like, no, you know what? I'm glad I drank it when I did because it tasted great and I really, really enjoyed drinking it because so it you, hit the you spot. Enjoyed it, if you enjoyed it in the moment, then you, you got your timing spot on, surely. Yes, yeah. That's what I would say. And I've got a couple of those and I want to revisit them because I've got a couple of those and some of the Imperial Stouts, the one they did with uh, Melissa Cole. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've got I've got that one. Um, I've got one of the bottles from the first year that they did it, which I believe was 2013. Now they they, they never labelled the bottles by year for the Imperial Stouts, but I, I know it was the first year that they didn't, and I've I've been hanging on to it. That's going to be the very last beer that I do as part of my 50 beers for 50 years because I, th- I thought that would be quite poignant to finish with the first bottle I ever started aging. Yeah, I think that worked nicely. And yeah, it'd be inter- really interesting to see what that's like. Really interesting to see well, what well, that's like. It's, it's also interesting that because they they didn't release it this year. They didn't release the Imperial Stout this year. And I, I, I do wonder whether Fullers are done with that. So I think if anybody's got any old bottles of Imperial Stout hanging around in your cupboard, they're going to start creeping up in value possibly. Yeah, true. I mean, that's just, but again, let's not get into that whole value thing that fullers have put on their their beers as artificial price rises yeah 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 uh we we would know we, we, i don't want to be ranting about that no no don't want to rant about that um how's your first beer i mean i've just finished mine while you were doing your 50 for 50 my i'll be honest mate mine went ages ago my, mine went when you was talking about what what you've been drinking re- recently <laughs> uh it, it's it, like i said at the beginning there's there's nothing bad about it but it's not going to set the world on fire. In, in, it's just in a lager, isn't it? It's just the Euro lager. If if I saw bottles of this in an ice bucket at a barbecue, I'd, I'd happily drink it at 5.2%. It's, it's not, you know, there's enough flavour to it. There's enough going on in it for it to be an enjoyable lager. Well, my Tonglo, well, again, it may not have been special. It was It was exactly what I thought it would be like based on the ABB, the description, those initial thoughts about the fruity esters, the slight sweetness. It was exactly, like I said, that first beer, when you get off the Eurostar, it would, it would tick all the boxes. Go, yep, I'm in Belgium now. Right, I've got, I've had like almost like their equivalent of a first quencher, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a, a starter, and then you move on from there. So yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the Tongalo, the first one. My second beer is one of the ones from their Super 8 range. And it's a 6% IPA. Ooh, that does sound start, start, starting to get more into your realm there, Steve. Just a little well, bit, yeah. I've got a 6.5% Belgian Devil. So I'm happy with that as an option. Let's get these into the glass then and see what we think of them. So your second one, is, is this one that you've had before again? Is it a first for you? I think the, so the Tonglo ones I did taste, but they were part of the tastings that they were offering at the Brew London. So it was, you know, that bit where we said before, you were only having tasters amongst lots of other tasters. Sometimes it's quite hard to judge. Um, I'll obviously hold my thoughts on the Super 8, but the Belgian Double, again, this I mean, this is really well carbonated. Uh, and this one, again, has until October 2022 on it. So they're roughly 18 months, the Tonglo bottles they're giving them. Okay, mine is Super 8. Yep, Super 8, 6% IPA. Looking forward to this. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, this is this is really subtle, this one. This is um, 
It's almost got a feel of almost a cross between um, a Belgian red, not quite a Flanders red, and then it's not quite a brune. It's in, it almost sits in between. Um, it's very smooth, very light body, very easy to drink, and doesn't smack of Belgian-y when you first open it and when you when you smell it, the aroma. There's definitely less of those fruity esters going on, which I know is, is usual for a double anyway. Um but yeah, that six and a half percent is well in the background. Very tasty. Yeah, mine's interesting. Uh, again, I mean, color-wise, it's 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 on the darker side of of an IPA, so we're we're talking more amber in in color. It's there's no Belgian characteristics to it again, so it's it is a straight up IPA. It's got quite a sharp bitterness on on the finish of it. I've had this before, but my previous experience of, of this beer is very, very different from the experience of, of, of drinking it now. The last time I had it, I was sat in the sun on an outside table next to a canal in Bruges, which would make this beer oh, taste so much better <laughs> than drinking it on a cold January night in, in, in the UK. Mm. It's, again, it's... um. It's it's a, it's, a, it's just a straight up IPA. Yeah, I mean, I I I described it as in the similar sort of ballpark as Brussels Beer Project, like a it is a modern Belgian take on on the, on the IPA. So it's not never going to be smacking off a West Coast. It's not trying to be an English one. So it's a, it's a it's like this is what the Belgians might like their IPA to taste like kind of experience. Um, I, I said I, I did really enjoy it. I did find the branding odd though. The branding is simple, but still looks like it's washed out. It looks really strange. Yeah, I mean, go back a few years. The only thing the branding's got going for it is it's green. There's there's green on the label, so it's an IPA. <laughs> it's green branding. That's always gonna that those two things are always gonna marry up. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that. Unfortunately, there's nothing that if this was on the shelf in a UK bottle shop would grab you. There's very little that's going to make you pick this beer off the shelf and say, I want to try that. Yeah, that's a shame. And I'm not trying to do anyone down, but I just thought it looked like it almost looked like bottles which had been in the window for too long. Yeah. It looked like the sun had got to the labelling and started to have them fade. But I did enjoy I did enjoy the Super 8, and I do think it's quite a nice example of what some of the other Belgian IPAs have had. Um, and sits quite comfortable because it isn't overly Belgian-y either. Yeah, so, I, I think for me, like I say, when I, when, when I described that previous experience of it, it was our, it was our second day in Bruges, so it, it was our third day in, in Belgium overall, and I, I was a bit Belgian-y beard out. And I was really pleased to see an IPA on, on the menu of the cafe that we stopped at. So I was like, yeah, give, give me that. And it was it was perfect for when, when I needed it to. And, and, and I would I can imagine that all of these beers sell really well on the continent in that sort of environment. I just think and I know hack to uh, are trying to, to to break into the UK market and they've they've had quite a push on getting their beers out to uh, a, a lot of influencers for, for, for once of want of a better phrase because i've seen quite a few people certainly with the samples that, that that i received talking about them 
I, I know they're trying to push into the market over here. I'm not sure where their place is in the UK market. Um, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, but I suppose depending where they may try to end up getting their beers into, I would suggest that we're now on beers three and four between the two of us. And you can have your Bel Belgium-influenced beers without it actually being too much of Belgium on the nose and the flavour. But certainly the ones which we're trying. Yeah, but then, but then what is it that attracts you to those beers? I, I don't. Maybe they're not aimed at people who do genuinely love more of the the those kind of fruity ester beers, the bit of the the farmhouse, all that kind of stuff. So perhaps it's almost like these are gateway, your entry level. I mean, the gold the golden ale was very. If I was going to pick a brand, but I would compare it to. It'd be left, lefty. Okay, yeah, I can I can see where maybe that's pitched in. I I see. I can't see that. There's nothing else in the Belgian market that I feel as though I could compare this IPA to. But but then I I I don't know. I said Brussels Beer Project was the closest I could get to. Well, yeah, but I've had Belgian IPAs in the past that have, have still had a hint of Belgiany to them. And I quite like a Belgian IPA. I quite, I quite like those. I like the characteristics of the citrus bitterness balanced against that kind of estery, sweet Belgian notes of the, of, of the yeast. I think that's a combination that works really well. This just isn't ticking any, any of those boxes on either side for me. The, the Tom Glow ones I've got, because again, at least the branding is very similar. And you can see that you're stepping up and, you know, the labelling has got color, almost colour-coded for you for the beers. My free Tonglo, my free Tonglo beers feel like they are supermarket. I, I could, yeah, I, I could see, I could see the Super 8 beers on, on a supermarket shelf. If I go back to the Primus again, I, I just think that would get lost on a major supermarket shelf. And again, not doing it a disservice, but it feels like the kind of beer that will end up down the middle aisle in Lidl or Aldi. <laughs> so I was I was happy to just say supermarket. You've sort of no middle aisle, blimey. Yeah, well, those middle aisles. Sometimes you can get a good deal. That down. I mean, towards the tail end of last year, you could get a a box of twelve Budvar for eleven quid. I, I think it was. Now, tell me that's a bad deal. No, that's that is a very good deal. It's a very good deal. Uh, but while while we're carrying drinking drinking this, I, well, I've got a few more uh beery adventures so i managed to get to a few tap rooms recently steve um solvay society over in Leytonstone for a brief visit and to uh pick up my tap cards because i'd invested in them quite some time ago just hadn't got round to getting over there and had a couple of their beers the super super position and the shine on these so the shine on these like an 11 percent triple and the superposition is under five percent and you know, sticking with the Belgian theme, you definitely know you're getting Belgian Belginess from their beers from Solvay. Always, always. Well, it's, it's what they. It's, it's their thing, isn't it? It's their yes. mo. That's what. That, that's what they specialise in there. Yeah, and I, I generally always enjoy my my Solvay beers. It's the second visit to the tap room, but it's the first since um, post post numerous lockdowns. And I also go over to one of the local tap rooms, um, Billy Ricky Brewing. Went over there, so I was going out for a few drinks and a, and a curry. 
managed to get to a bit of Ricky Brewing for a couple of hours beforehand, had a pint of their Mayflower Pale and Vanilla Bark. Both of them were very good and both of them were nicely conditioned despite them being gravity pours because that's the only pours they do of their own beers are gravity pours. But I do feel that Billericay Brewing have been stepping up some of their beers and I do feel like they are, they've really nailed some of the, the cask beers and also some of the cask beers they do actually have brewed at Brentwood as well. They're like more core range. They have a bit of a partnership with, with Brentwood for that. So they could use more of the space uh, for people coming into the tap room and there's like a snug off to the side now as well. So that, that was quite nice just to, to a couple of tap rooms of places I like and people are like. And final beer mention is one that I actually wasn't that impressed with the first time I had it. Um, barley wine. So it's a good start. An American barley wine, 10.1%. I mainly decided to add my last can of this because I was getting so hacked off with everything that we were seeing in the news and reading on social media about all the fucking lockdown parties held by various parts of the government and had the weird beard gaslight the electorate barley wine we did that on a virtual bottle share during lockdown didn't we it's definitely uh featured uh uh yes first of december 2020 i know just right then i was a bit confused by this seems to be neither one star nor the other um and then I had it in February 2021 and my untapped score went up. Had it 15th of January 2022 and it was a narrow four out of five rather than starting off at a three out of five. Well, that's the age has done good things to that then. Definitely. Um, now, I think, think it's better than okay. Tasting great. Lovely balance between the malt, add the chocolate and the piney notes uh, because it's, it's a bit of a black barley wine. Matured nicely, um, although... The best before does actually say September 2025. So that one may have had more on it. But like I said, because of the name, it seemed like an appropriate beer to have at the time to, to help get some of the annoyance out of my system. So really, really enjoyed that one. So it's not, it was, it's really nice when it happens that way around. Mm. It yeah. has progressed. It has progressed that one. So um, yeah. However, Will we get barley wine some weird beer in the future? I'm not, I'm not so sure because we've, we've we've seen the news this this weekend that they've they're they're for sale basically, aren't they? Um, with I think of a, a a closing date of expressions of interest by the day after this show comes out, so the fourth of Feb. Yes, and so and this hasn't been out for long, as far as I'm aware. It certainly, only came to our attention in the last day or so. Um, or at least over the weekend before we've been recording now. And you don't have to buy the brewery. It's the it's the assets. You can buy, it seems like you can offer for certain parts of the assets, like if you want one of the FEs, the FE is available. Also, it feels like it's essentially being stripped down. It didn't look like it was an actual sale of the brewery. That's how it didn't look to me anyway. They didn't look like you had to necessarily buy the whole brewery. It's a really odd one. Um, and the, comp- the company who are organising the sale, I mean, hopefully it is as a brewery, and Weird Beard, I don't think, have said anything. I can't see anything on their socials about it. And bizarrely, they've got an open day on the 5th, on the Saturday. But I did notice on that, anyone who still had the 
what they classed as the bottomless glasses as part of the crowdfunding might want to go. They were sort of hinting this might be one of your last opportunities, or at least for a while. Do you, do you think they're also going to try and offload a load of their beers then uh, at this open day to, to get stock out? Well, it brings in immediate cash, doesn't it, for starters? Yeah. Um, I, I think this is a real shame because Weird Beard for me are a strange one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit that. They were, one of the, they were one of the first breweries that I came across sort of 10 years ago when I first started doing the podcast. And they to, to me, they were very, one of the kind of what I suppose you could call the first wave of UK craft breweries. And they were certainly very prominent in the London scene. You know, they were up there mm-hmm. with... Colonel, Brew by Numbers, at the time, Camden Town, Beaver Town. They, they were always kind of in those same circles. And I think one of the things that really attracted me to them, and it, it might be that kind of little OCD collector thing in me, was, was their different labels had so much character to them with the, the little skull head always being a representation of what was going on in the beer. And they had some stunning beers uh, early doors. And then they seem to drop off the map, so, so to speak. And they, they were still there, but their beers were neither here nor there. And they've, they've, they've slowly been releasing beers. And I, I, I wouldn't say they've ever returned to the prominence that they had 10 years ago. And I, I do wonder if it's that they seem to me to be a brewery that missed the train in terms of cans. Canning was quite late. They were yeah. always 500 milliliter bottles, weren't they? Their yeah. Beers. And, and I wonder if if that's impacted on it. I mean, there could be all sorts going on behind the scenes that we, we don't know about. And as always in these sorts of situations, what I want to say is if I, I hope that the people involved, the staff, the owners are OK and, and, and they come out of this OK. But I think it's it's, it's really it's really sad to see a, a brewery that was was once so prominent now basically selling up yeah no it is a shame um one of our first um nights at the vic steve my first it was it was my first visit to the vic was the tap takeover yeah but they had um and had some excellent beers that evening yeah i i you're right. They did seem to, well, they certainly felt like they dropped off my radar, both in terms of presence and availability in places. And it is obviously a great shame. And can only echo what you said about um, the people who own and work for them and the people, anyone who's invested as well. So, you know, if you are and you do hear this before the fifth and the fifth still goes ahead, get yourself over there for the open day. Um, but yeah, it is it is a shame. But they're not they're not the first ones. I mean, we know in the last couple of years we we've lost some breweries, like some of the ones up north, like Summer Wine Brewery. Yeah, yeah. When uh, so there have been breweries which have been sort of just who were there at the start or uh, definitely early on and at the start of our our crafty rabbit hole beer journey. Um, so it is, it is always a shame when that happens. So you know, good luck to everyone involved and hope that something good comes out of this in the uh, in the near future. That's that's all we can say for, for now. There's no point speculating on what's going to happen. It, it's just a case of, of, of waiting and, and seeing, is, isn't it? 
let's bring it back around to um, some more beery adventures because I've just got a couple more things that, that I want to, to mention. First of all, uh, a, a few beers that I've really enjoyed uh, at home. And you're going to see very quickly a bit of a theme uh, emerge to these beers as well. So I had the Thornbridge and Elusive Collab Super User which is very much doing the rounds on social media at the moment. It's a red IPA coming in at 7% bang on, or, or just over 7%, I think it is. It was in this month's Thornbridge box, and everybody that I've seen drink it on, on, on Twitter has absolutely loved it, and I have to 100% agree with how good that, that beer is. It's absolutely stunning in terms of what the, the, the profile of it tastes like. I know the whole story behind it was that Andy was very much inspired by, by Thornbridge's Colorado Red, which is a beer that I believe they did with Odell Brewing uh, uh, originally. And, and that was what inspired Andy to brew his American Red that won him the competition and the rest is history, so to speak. So it, it's great to have been able to have enjoyed that beer from, from last month's Thornbridge box um, from my brewery of the year last year and continuing on, on that theme. Um, I also had the Sunset City barley wine that, that Elusive have just put out. My word, that's a beast of a beer. That is a big old American bitter barley wine. Uh, no aging required on that one. Drink fresh. And I think we're beginning to see a, a kind of a new approach to american barley wines that they are these big bitter beasts but don't age them drink drink and it's weird to say these words drink a barley wine fresh because i think i've always kind of been conditioned to let a barley wine have a little bit of age on it yeah i think partly and again for my part no real rhyme or reason or facts behind it it, got, it just got lumped into that well it's a big beer yeah, and you age big beers. Yeah. So I think we've also seen in this last week, uh, Burning Sky have, have released the barley wine that they've they've said is uh, it's a West Coast barley wine. It's 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 big and it's bitter, and I know we've got some of that on order. So expect us to be talking about that on a on a future show for sure. And then the final uh, beer I had. Once again, continuing on a theme, was another elusive beer. Uh, again, another collaboration with Disruption is brewing called The Man Who Wasn't There. Now, this beer is a homage to Pliny the Elder. And when it was first released, it didn't appear on Elusive's website. It appeared quite randomly on the Mont Miller's website. And that was the only way you could get a hold of it. And it sold out very, very quickly. I believe there are some cans of it now available on the Elusive website. If they're still there, they may have already gone. But... I know you've not had yours, mate, because we went in on a joint order and I've still got your cans sat in the boot of my car waiting to give them to you. I'm just them... very glad they're in the boot of your car. Yeah, not keep, <laughs> Keeping the cold chain going. Mate, that beer is stunning. It's, 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 and it's the first beer that I will publicly say is, is a contender for beer of the year this year. It is everything I wanted it to be. It's piney, it's resinous, it's big, it's bold. It leaves this massive bitterness in your mouth on the finish. It's hard to say whether... It lives up to the beer it's trying to be without doing them side by side. And we all know that's almost an impossibility to, to do. But what a cracking beer that that is. And, and one that I hope that you'll enjoy when you eventually get yours. I've got no doubt I will. And I really, that will probably feature around about my next birthday, mid-February. Because when I get over to see you next, Steve, uh, the timings and then 
maybe not wanting to drink that kind of beer during the week, saving it for a weekend. Um, that could be quite boozy because I definitely want to try the uh, elusive barley wine as well. And who knows, by then the Burning Sky barley wine might I was going to say, you're going to have the Burning Sky barley wine as well. So you're going to have two barley wines and this double IPA. You're in for a good evening there, mate. I, I can tell you that. Happy birthday, Martin. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and then finally on my beer adventures, I just want to want to mention, I went out in Harwich uh, at the weekend. M and I went out with M's sister, Hannah, who I know is a, is a listener of, of the show. So giving her a shout out. We went out to a pub called the Hanover Inn in in Harwich which is also uh, a B&B Harwich for those who don't know it's uh it's probably fair to say it's a, a port it's more than it is a seaside destination and and the town itself is very a very old fashioned town small streets buildings very close not really a lot going on there but seems to have a huge amount of pubs tucked away in its its back streets yeah old Harwich town definitely is it's worth a little wander, but it it doesn't take long to wander it. But it does have a decent amount of pubs. You are right, and a few of them are very different pubs as well. That they are, and they, and they do a, a sea shanty festival as, as yeah, well at some point I during sp- the year, don't they? I spoke about. It. They are trying to bring that back this year. Um, they so basically they would have um, groups of the singers doing the sea sea shanties in different points in the town and in pubs. Um, October time and yeah it was always it was good fun it used to start at the Harwich Town Brewery near, oh, yeah, near the station yeah. so as soon as you come out of the station you had your you were the first there, few yeah. beers and there was a bit of singing going on um Hanover Inn I'm trying to think I've been to the Hanover Inn but I think your description is fairly good you know I mean basically it is the start of the entrance to the North Sea isn't it from Harwich Port yeah yeah yeah, so I, I, I believe the Hanover Inn has recently been taken over by new owners so it, it felt like it had been done up a little bit it looked nice and fresh inside it was it was warm it was friendly walked in fairly standard bar five cask lines and two keg fonts keg fonts are what you'd expect them to be uh some mainstream lagers there was some there was a beaver town neck oil couple of beers from tiny rebel and then a couple of beers on on the other front from calvors which is a it's a local brewery in suffolk they, yeah. they, they, they do some lagers and some some fairly standard beers i looked at the the the, the cask lines and there was there was a beer from uh, colchester brewery called number 88 which was a dark copper bitter four percent uh ordered a pint of it it came up no sparkler but it came up perfectly poured it had a really tight head on it lovely dark red color to it we had had a good walk to get to the pub from 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 hannah's place and i downed that pint in three sips it was it was so tasty did you find out why it was called the number 88 i didn't do, do I, you know i might do um because where colchester brewery is it's on a bus route between Col- between colchester and sort of going out towards halston and sudbury way and i think it might be the number 88 bus I didn't think to inquire, but that's a great story if, if it's the truth. Regardless, it was a cracking beer. I actually ended up drinking four pints of it on, on, on Saturday dur- during the, the afternoon that we were there. I mean, we were there into the evening as well, and I, I switched between some of the other beers and tried a few other things while I was there. But to, to walk in after a, a walk with a bit of a thirst on and, and, and to nail a pint of that beer in, in, in literally three gulps, I had surprised myself because I I wasn't expecting too much from it. 
but it was delicious. It was just everything I wanted from that style of beer. It was, it had a bit of earthiness to it and it had this lovely dry bitter finish that just kept making you go in for more. And as I say, they know how to look after a pint there as well because it was in perfect condition. Just look at your picture. Um, yeah, that looks that looks in great condition. Yeah, it was in it was in top condition, mate. Like I say, four pints good. Now I, I really enjoyed our time in in the Hanover Inn. We we had a lovely meal in in there as well, and we we ended up spending about eight hours in there. We were going to do a few pubs on Saturday, but we just ended up staying in there and enjoying the beers in there. But I got to a point where I wanted something dark, and I thought, brilliant, okay, great stuff. I'll have a Guinness because everywhere sells Guinness, don't they? Yeah, no Guinness tap. And I was like, okay, uh, so I'll go and have a look in the, the, the fridge, see if they've got anything dark in the fridge. Cans of Guinness. Oh, that's a real bugbear of mine in, in, in pubs. I don't want to go into a pub and buy a can of Guinness and have it put on a surger plate. Oh, that, so they did have the surger plate then? Well, I didn't see a surger plate. So it, it's quite possible they were just wholesale cans of Guinness that I could exactly the same as i could buy from the supermarket and drink at home yeah i'm not a fan and i've been caught out of it before where someone else has ordered the guinness on my behalf i've said yeah i'll you know i've looked at the list and gone no i'll have a guinness and then they come back with it and i've gone no that's not a pint i know there's a can and it's gone and said for fuck's sake i didn't want that it's not it's not what you want i'm just really surprised because I, I like their ethos to to the, the beers that they had on all the so, so all of the cask beers Bar one were local, and 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 the one that wasn't local was from Sheffield, uh, from Neepsend Brewery, which I which I had a pint of that. That was a, a raspberry ripple stout, so I, I had that instead of the Guinness, um, which and it was fine. It was again did what it said on the tin, but all the other beers were local. Like I say, the condition of all of the cask beers was was perfect for for me on on Saturday. The Guinness one is just weird. I mean, especially considering that you know. Apparently Guinness are smashing it in the UK in terms of sales. Well, yeah, there was there was that that news came out today of what was it? The sales have grown by 30% in the last six months. And and that one in ten pints is now a pint of Guinness. Yeah, and they specifically said pints. So we're not talking about let's assume we're talking about the on-trade sales then, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah. Now I I mean you can put that down to a couple of things, can't you? You can put that down to things opening up again and potentially across the board most brands could report an increase in sales. Yeah, usually you do year on year. Yeah. So also potentially you can put that down to what you just said. You can't get a pint of Guinness at home. So all throughout lockdown, we've, we've, we've probably all had a can of Guinness here or there, but we've only ever had 440 mils of a can in a pint glass. I know they've recently released the big cans in, yep. into the UK market. So you now do get a full pint. Well, it's not a full pint. No. But with the head, it's yeah. a full pint. Um, it's 538 mils rather than 568 mils. And, and so, so you could put that down to those two. There's there's also been a lot of talk that they've Guinness have done a lot of work in terms of the offers that they've been given to bars that will host them. And I know that you've said as well that you've been, since going back into to London, you've noticed that there are a lot more places now selling Guinness rather than a craft alternative, so to speak. Yeah. Um, to name two places, Euston, uh, not Euston, oh, well, Euston have had it, but I'm pretty certain, but the Pelt Trader and the Dean Swift both had Guinness as an offering. 
and I've been to places and we've heard it before. I'm pretty certain Terry's told us this at the ale house before. They've had people come in and ask for Guinness. And when you haven't got Guinness, they do leave. Yeah. Um, people know Guinness. Not there's, there's no two ways about it. So it's all very well if two or three of you are in a group, are doing your, your beer geekery. But if one or two of the group aren't into that, but they'll go, well, oh, actually, I'll have a Guinness though. And then, but there isn't a Guinness. But we have this other stout. Now, you went for the Neeps end. The, judging by your description, in no shape or form will that be familiar to a Guinness drinker. No, absolutely not. It, so, it would be a world away from a Guinness drinker drinking something that had flavours of raspberry and vanilla in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I can understand why places are accepting it. I can understand it for multiple reasons. You know, one is everyone's getting back on their feet again. Um, yes, it does mean that perhaps um, a small, independent, local brewery hasn't been able to provide that offering. But like I said, you people also have to take tough decisions. Um, and we know that we know about the Vic when Andy and Sheena first took that over. They had Guinness for quite a while in there. But when they knew when there was a problem with the lines, they knew that Guinness came out and sorted it as well. Because mm, yeah. Guinness want Guinness to be served in tip-top condition wherever you are in the world. They don't want that to be mucked around with. So I do understand it, but that, those numbers were still a lot. That was still a hell of an increase, but it's definitely one in 10. But it's not the only Guinness news we heard recently, is it? Well, no, on, on the same day as, as that one in 10 pints in London, there, there was the announcement that Guinness are actually going to open a microbrewery in Covent Garden, something like 78 million they're, they're investing in, in this site. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot of money just going on rental because let's, let's assume they're renting, leasing. Um, but Covent Garden, yeah, that ain't going to come cheap, is it? Um, what's it going to be like? I mean, I've got it made. It's going to be something, maybe it won't look the same, but it's going to have the small batch type of stuff like Open Gate. From, from, what, from, from some of the uh, exchanges that I've seen on, on, on Twitter today, there's suggestion that, so Guinness will still be produced in Dublin and it will be shipped around the world as it is now. But they will have a facility on site that will be similar to the Open Gate Brewery in, in, in Dublin that will be probably a pilot kit that will produce uh, small-scale beers to be served on site in, in their on-site bar. And I, I think it's it's due to open in 2023, October 2023, I, I think it is. I'm guessing what they'll do is some sort of storehouse experience as, as well similar to what you'd get in dublin but on a much smaller scale Be, because obviously if you're gonna if you're gonna target something at, at tourists you're gonna go for something like you've got in dublin aren't you yeah it's, it'll just be a, a smaller version of it so yeah in my head they're gonna be doing some of those other types of stouts they may do some collaborations they'll probably have some guests on as well uh, but it'd be very much still focused on the on the darker side of the beer drinking experience. Um, but where do we where where do we sign up the petition, Steve, to get two things? One, the espresso stout martini, and two, surely if you're going to put it in the centre of London, the home of cask, where Guinness first came from, it must be a cask condition Guinness you've, you've, opportunity. You've, you've got to hope that they're considering that, haven't you? Because I don't even need to ship it. You you actually just brew it there and serve it there. That's the, and you make it as this is the only place. 
So you make it like an exclusive, don't you? Cask Guinness. Sparkler or no sparkler? I think for Guinness, you'd have sparkler, wouldn't you? Oh, I'd, I'd like to see what our listeners think on that one. Use the hashtag opinions. Let us know how you want your Guinness served from their new microbrewery in London. And we'll uh, have words and we'll see what we can do. Because... <laughs> yeah, because we had that much influence over Diageo. <laughs> yeah, um, clearly. That, I mean, I, I'm quite excited about that. I mean, I'm, you know, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but they will get a lot of tourists because we still, you know, London is a tourist destination. Absolutely. So, and Covent Garden, yeah. even more so within that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I would probably only ever want to go there on like a Monday or a Tuesday because Covent Garden is just sometimes too busy at the weekends at the best of times. But I think it's really exciting. And I we've, you know, we've loved the open gate experience. I've been there, I've been there with you, we've been there for International Snack Day, I've been there with friends completely unrelated to doing anything particularly beery. And I love the feel of what they've done there. So if they somehow bring some of the best elements of that and then put a unique stamp on it for the London market, I think that will go down well for people. Well, well, let's be honest. Diageo, Guinness aren't going to half-arse it, are they? No. No. Whatever they do is going to be a good experience, regardless of what you think of the beer or the brand. As a tourist destination, that is going to tick a lot of boxes for a lot of people. But that's what they're going to be uh, targeting as like the the autumn of 2023. But it is exciting news. And um, when we find out where you can sign up for those two items, we'll let you know. Yeah, get behind us in the queue for car skinny, sir. That's, that's <laughs> all I'm going to say. That was a bit of a an extended beery adventures for, for, for you and I, to, to the point where we've done an entire beer during the, the the second half of that. I mean, well, I've done an entire beer. I've finished, oh, yeah, my I finished mine. Super 8 IPA. I've I've got to say again, I, I I'm not I'm not looking to put it down, but it's it's just it's nothing different to what is already available, and I, I really struggle to see what its place is going to be in the UK market. Like I said, I I, I see it, I see it as it's not. I don't think it's going to end up in specialist shops, independent or specialist Belgian shops. Um, I see it. As, soup, as shops, as in shops off licenses, mate. Maybe like you know, getting a into majestic or somewhere like that. Um, supermarkets by Dubal was nice. There are way better Dubals. Again, and this is a horrible term to use. Definitely inoffensive. Very light. Very easy to drink. I probably preferred the Golden first of all because it actually had that bit more fruity estuary notes going on. The, the Double was almost too easy to drink. So we'll see what the next beer is like. My final beer is again a Super 8, and this is called Flandrian, 6.4%. And from what I gather on Untapped, it's a golden owl. No, that tells you a lot then. <laughs> yeah, or a blonde beer or... It doesn't really tell me a lot about it, and and the the, the labelling doesn't really offer me any more. I, on the other hand, I I do know what I'm getting. Um, I'm in the Belgian triple category now, which probably isn't surprising if I've gone from like the the Belgian blonde to the double. The triple would be the next place to go to, I suppose. Um, 9%. Now, I was very surprised to find that ubiquitous little green, that little tick 
in the top right-hand corner on my untapped. So I went to look at it and thought, hmm, you've checked it in. I've got zero. I haven't given it a rating. I thought, hmm, that doesn't sound like me. However, I've got no recollection because I, apparently I checked this in on 29th of August, 2013. That's and a long those, time ago. In those days, it never told you whether it was draft, bottle or whatever. And you didn't have the option of putting a venue in either. So I've got no so you've, idea. You've got nothing then, have you? I've got nothing to base this one on. Apart from the fact I literally, because of my OCD, checked it in, did nothing else with it. Um, but it's a Belgian triple. I like Belgian triples. So I'm, I'm ready to dive into mine. Me too. Let's give it a go. Cheers. Cheers. Now, this is ticking some boxes. I'm really, really, it's, this has got the qualities of a triple. Again, it's very light, but it's got that sweetness. It's got the, the esters on the nose. It is basically the amped up version of the golden. Which is what you'd expect, isn't it? In, yeah. in, in terms of the way that the Belgian breweries um, categorise their beers. Yes, it, it definitely, definitely works. Um, like I said, very light body. Nice bit of carbonation. The 9%, as you'd expect, is nicely hidden. And it's got just a little bit of boozy triple warmth at the really back end of it as well. Mine is... Um, the only way I can describe it is Duvalesque. So it's it's kind of got those Belgian-y notes on, on, on the nose. There's a little bit of sweetness in there there's a bit more body to it it's quite light it's quite effervescent it's really easy to drink 6.4 percent it's it's one that you could enjoy maybe it could ramp up the belgian characteristics a little bit because they are quite muted but it's it's drinkable enough yeah and that's what i would probably say that's where i was probably saying that there may be being supermarket beers but rather than specialist places, because they don't feel like they showcase Belgium enough, as in the beers of Belgium. But for someone maybe taking their first few steps into beers from Belgium, the Tonglo range wouldn't be a bad one to start with. I think it would give you a nice gentle introduction. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm pleased I'm pleased to be finishing off on the triple. I'm glad I'm glad I definitely did it in the ABV route though, because the triple would have killed me for everything else. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm glad I'm finishing on this one because I think it's given me a little more than either of the previous two ones. I, I would say again, just with the labelling, um, I it needs a little bit more. It needs to t- tell me what it actually is. It's called Flandrian. Now, as as a beer drinker and someone that knows a little bit about beer if i see the word flanders in a beer i'm, I'm gonna maybe think that that's more on the sour tart side yeah but it's it's not telling me that and and, and the description all the description is giving me is uh, a blonde beer full of character flavored with hop coriander oak and vanilla a strong beer easy to drink for the go-getters i i need a bit more of a descriptor on the front please to, to tell me what the beer actually is like I said, I've been a bit more lucky because the Tonglo ones are one brand, the labing's all the same, and they are, I think they're telling you enough on all of these as well. So I, I think on that one, but your three are all very disparate, very different. But the Tonglo as a range, like I said, would work. Um, 
even with some because the the super see, your your last two beers are both the super eight range, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Like I said, and it just looks a little bit faded. It just I don't know what they're trying to showcase or advertise with with the way they've branded the bottles. I, I did also have in this set that they sent me. I did also have one of the Tongalo ones. I had the the the, the Boone. Uh, and I think so. What they've tried to do with this press pack, I guess, is to showcase a range of different a styles yeah. that that they have available. I, I found the Brune to be very Vesmali, um, and again, that's something you can pick up off of supermarket shelves. So if if that's your benchmark that you're going in against is, is Vesmal, that's quite a benchmark to achieve. Yes, and will you be able to get people to sway from a Vesmal? I'm not sure. Uh, that, that that remains that remains my issue with with all of these beers is is that I don't see where their place is in the UK market. Yeah, uh, it's 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 an odd one, but my I, I've enjoyed them. I just don't know if I'd pick them up anywhere. We should probably get into discussing this week's opinions, mate, because I, th- I think if if you're going to go through that nine percent like you've gone through the other two. Your 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 thoughts might not be legible by the end of it. Oh well, yeah, the eloquence may have died off a little bit. We went for a slightly different approach this week because, as you, our listeners, will know, we're still playing around with how we do the opinions question. Is it something we're just going to discuss and then ask for feedback? Do we want your input first? Do we go back to polls? And and I think we've we've settled on. I think we're probably going to go back to polls aren't we? Because we yeah. found that even, even though this was a fairly simple question, comparing it to some of the questions that we would have asked on the polls, even with some of our more recent polls that haven't had a great amount of engagement, this question had even less engagement and it was still a fairly relevant and topical question at the time that we asked it. Oh, definitely. I, it would seem that the poll definitely... Um brings people to the table and then we definitely end up uh, number of votes is less of a um a factor for us it still provided us with more comments attached to the poll answers than just a question yeah and and that's that's what we want from this segment is we don't just want to sit here and and have you and i spout off about our views on a particular thing we want to take some listeners views we want to factor those into it and then want to talk about those views as well as part of of our discussion so that being said let's get into it the question we asked was this week we heard that lion are going to focus on the us and australia what do you think that this means for four pure and magic rock which are obviously part of the lion brand in the uk now, before we go into some of the comments here and our thoughts, again, I will just say, as, as we did about Weirdbeard, that obviously there are people involved in this behind the scenes in terms of those who are currently employed by Four Pure and Magic Rock. None of this speculation um, is, is forgetting the fact that there are people involved in this. And we do wish everybody that, that works for, for, for one of these businesses at the moment, we do hope that they are safe in their future endeavours and that they're able to go on and and do the things that they actually want to do. With that in mind, let's take some of the the, the comments that we did get back on Twitter. So first up from Bullman's Beer Reviews at Greg Bullman, very little outside of beer social media. The general public won't notice a difference. From Ash Corbett Collins, 
sold off to some other faceless corporation. For Pure, the brand will likely never recover to its formal level due to the soul-destroying marketing job done on it. Magic Rock might get back to its old position of being known for making decent beers. Graham Salander at Chicken Dipper. I can't really see either of them recovering. They're not for us anymore, and they obviously haven't been sufficiently embraced by supermarket drinkers either, or Lion wouldn't be abandoning them. Oddly, the loss of Magic Ross. Magic Rock saddens, saddens me far more than that of Four Pure. From John Hart at Metal Mother 666. Four Pure's beers were never great anyway, so it won't be sad to see them go. Cannibal Rum was always good, and they did some other decent beers too, but it depends if the old brewers are still there. Otherwise, I'd expect them to disappear as well. From Paul at UNRCD. If I am Magic Rock, I would bring back the old brand in, bring back the old Cannonball, and definitely bring back the Cannonball run. If it goes independent again, unlikely, and more importantly, makes beers like it used to, I would go back. And from Richard Harper at Alarmist UK, Four Pure was a brewery always destined to be sold as a brand, but Magic Rock had way more than that. Magic Rock could go back to being a regional, national, medium-sized craft brewery. Four Pure needs to be with a macro business, heart and soul in it. Finally, from Nick Law at Hop Forward, probably the same thing that happened to London Fields. It's sad because I generally loved Magic Rock for a while back there. Great beers and such great branding. I can't see them being reclaimed, even if bought by an independent interest. I'd like to imagine they would be, and we'd start seeing barrel-aged beers, bearded lady, cannibal run. I don't see it myself. It seems often the pattern, as with Hop Stuff, London Fields, etc., is that the brand isn't making megabucks, the globe will just offload them. Even if they were inquired by an independent investor with deep pockets, I fear the heart and soul would have been sucked out of them now. I find those comments really interesting because they seem to, all of them seem to have an underlying theme of, there was maybe some sympathy for Magic Rock, but not so for Four Pure. Oh, that... and I find I find that really strange. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, these comments are actually, I think they're, they're, they are actually really good, and you nailed it there. In that first instance, I think Four Pure lost the love of a lot of people who were into craft beer, and someone said, "Not really for us anymore." Um, I was always a fan of Four Pure. I've said that before on the show. Uh, quite happy to repeat it here now. But they, I mean, the, the rebrands they've done over the last couple of years was shocking for their beers. Absolutely shocking. Um, I would say that actually, I think one of the comments said about the beers weren't that good. I did, I did think the beers were good. I think they were very good at what they wanted to do. But if I think back to their original taps, tap room space, to what it was like when I went down there for their fifth birthday, even then, that was really changing and ramping up the size. And they bought loads of, of the um, space on that trading estate they're on. So it would be really interesting to know what's going to happen there because someone needs to have deep pockets now. And that's the thing with Magic Rock as well. They're, they're, they're bigger concerns than they were when they were bought by Lion. Well, well yeah, I mean, if, if you look just behind the scenes, so this, this news first came out on the 18th of January. It was an article that was in... Uh, the, the the grocer, which is an industry publication, that and and it, it didn't really say a lot, but it, it said enough, I, I suppose, to trigger the alarm bells. So the, the the gist of it was that Lion are putting up their UK brands for for sale as as they shift their focus to. 
the, the the US and Australia, and 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 within that will also affect the that they're the importing of beers from Little Creatures and New Belgium, the Voodoo Ranger that was being put out through Four Pure. Now, I didn't realise that in 2020, they actually combined Four Pure and Magic Rock into a single business, which was called Little World Beverages. I, I must have missed that completely. I suppose it's because from a possibly from a consumer point of view, I saw the two brands continuing to operate independently. I didn't realise they had become a single business. So are we actually talking about them selling off that business, which is essentially Four Pure and Magic Rock, or are we going to see them strip out the two brands and try and sell the two brands separately? Now, if that's the case, one of them is performing significantly better than the other, and that's Magic Rock, because their sales in supermarkets have risen 125.4% over a 12-month period up until September last year. Of, of which particularly the sales of their sorcery session IPA is, is, is up something like 26%. At the same time, Four Pure has been struggling in supermarkets and is down 28.5%. Now, there are a number of considerations to, to make around that. I think someone commented the, 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 the latest Four Pure rebrand literally felt like it stripped the soul out of that brewery. It was shocking. It was shocking. But it's interesting to see how one seems to be outperforming the other because personally, I I don't I see very few magic rock beers on supermarket shelves these days. I don't know whether it's that I've stopped looking or it well interestingly, uh the little Tesco Express near work where I do pick up some bits on my way in sometimes and or we'll always just have a quick browse just to see what they've got. Not that I need I need to have the, the beers that early in the morning when I'm going through London. But the Dark Arts um, is sold in my local Tesco Express to work, and they're in the 440 ml cans as well. Now, Dark Arts, and we've spoken about this before, I thought was one of the best examples of a craft brewery doing a straight-up stout. But I've got no idea what it might be like now because I haven't gone to it, so I'll be honest. Well, yeah, adjunct-free, mid-range stout. For a long time... Dark Arts was one of the best in the UK. And, and I think we even we even used that as an example when we did that show with Men Behaving yep. Badly in, in, in terms of what a good stout could be like. Yeah. Oh, that may have been just pre-Magic Rock being sold. It was definitely before. I'm sure it was before. So I have seen their beers in there. Um, I mean, everyone who said about the... the I, I can de- definitely see where people are coming about 4Pure because I won't pick up... I don't pick up 4Pure now. I used to pick up Four Pure generally because I liked them. I used to love their original branding. Um, I thought it was really good. It said, it said a lot. And that's where the name was about. That's with the, you know, the, with the ingredients. And they used to have them in M&S quite regularly, two or three of the Four Pures as well. So definitely good train beers. Um, but that last rebranding where you end up with that, just the very bl- bland cans, at least with the Magic Rock mucking around, you could still see the connections in the cans. Not as much. There was still enough to say there, but, but the rebrand for Four Pure was just, it had no connection whatsoever to its original beers. Um, going back to your original point about New World Beverages, there would have been lots of reasons for doing that. Most of it would have been related to money, synergies, management level. It was not like 
your brewer at Forpew could just pop down the road and help out at Magic Rock in Huddersfield and vice versa. So it would have been high at high levels. It would have been the back office, the back room staff, the the, the getting the, the the beers into the supermarkets, that kind of stuff. Um, there's always been love for Magic Rock. Um, but even then, that little bit of a cynical thing from Magic Rock, talking at, hinting at the Cannonball Run. The, the day after this news broke. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't like that at all because that was distraction. It was, look, look, look over here at this shiny thing that we're doing. Don't look over here at this steaming pile of shit that's going on. We, we want you to, to, to talk about this. Now, for, for, for me, and, and I know we've spoken to this so, so many times, the unhuman cannonball holds a very special place in my heart, going right back to the, to, to the first iteration of it. And, and then, you know, it coming through in the last few years. And, and then there was that year where they delayed it and they released it in November. And then there's been those two years where they didn't bother at all. And, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this shiny thing again. I, you know what? I don't care. I actually, I, I don't care an, anymore. And that upsets me because I was the biggest Cannonball fan back in the day. I loved Unhuman Cannibal. I loved the whole circus and excitement and everything that went around that. And I think for a brewery or a business to just go, oh, you know what, forget that because it doesn't make us any money. Um, the fuck, fuck people that drink our beer. Just don't care. We just want to make money. That, that's probably the point at which I fell out of love with Magic Rock. I can't remember the last time I drank a Magic Rock beer uh, at, at this point. I, I really can't. I don't buy them from the supermarket anymore. I know I was one of those people that was very, very excited when Cannibal was available in Tesco's. Well, of course I was going to be. I love that fucking beer. I love that beer for years. And to suddenly be able to have it available in my local Tesco, I was thrilled about that. And then they stripped the life out of it by rebranding it. And I didn't like the rebrand. I, I liked the little fun characters that made Magic Rock what they were. And then the evolution of the rebrand has taken them even further away from what they are. And I, I do hope, there's a little part of me that hopes that they can go back and reignite that magic again. My worry is that nobody's going to want to take them on. And, and they're essentially just going to end up getting sold off as a going concern. That's, that, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, they're both bigger concerns now, aren't they? So yeah. how, do you, how do you do it? Like, so let's assume they can take away that, that strip of the new world beverages. So let's, let's assume they can take that out of the equation. So you do have four pure and magic rock. And let's focus on magic rocks. There's definitely more lost love for magic rock. But they, they're still a bigger concern. They may not have grown as exponentially as uh, Forpio did, but they're definitely bigger than when they were first bought. So that means someone needs deeper pockets. They're not selling Magic Rock because they're losing money. They're selling Magic Rock because they've decided to, as a business to actually just refocus their efforts elsewhere. With Forpure, yes, there is definitely an element of we're losing money. So Forpure, they could just that could just disappear. Yeah, there's, let, let's be honest, there's loads of breweries that could replace Foil Pure tomorrow and, and you wouldn't even know, notice they were gone. No. Um, I think less so with Magic Rock because I, I think you're right in saying that they are a very different proposition than what they were five years ago. 
you, you know, they do now have a very recognisable brand. They've, they've got the tap room. They've now got a bar as, as well that they didn't have previously. And, and all those things have got to be taken into consideration. I just, I, I wonder, and, 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 and like you say, I think there may be a little bit more forgiveness from within the beer bubble for Magic Rock, because I think there's potentially a little bit more love yeah. there for what they did. But I, I think, I, I honestly think people are done with Four Pure and I, I don't see, I don't see how they in particular recover from this, as, especially as, as they are still from what I, they're, they're still on the Bermondsey beer mile, aren't they? Yeah, they're still, they're, they're, still, they're, still the, they're still the furthest one out from the centre yeah. of London. I don't think it's, I still don't think there's anyone further than Four Pure. Yeah. And so I, I used to have it as my starting point because I always wanted to work my way back into the city rather than end up over, over that way towards Millwall and Palace, that kind of distance. But I, I, I think the best that the best that Four Pure becomes is a beer factory. But we've also seen recently with West Barks that beer factory isn't necessarily a sustainable business model. No, absolutely not. And I think I think that's that that's the worry, isn't it? Is that is that what what do well what do both of them become now going forward? I, I, I think Magic Rock has more chance, and you may find someone wants to get involved, or a consortium maybe wants to get involved and bring back Magic Rock to once what it was. And as Paul said, if they start making the beers like they used to, the thing is. I actually can't say whether that's an accurate statement or not because I just haven't had their beers for ages. So I can't tell you whether their beers are like they used to be. I, I would, I would, I, I visited the Magic Rock tap room when we went to Scarborough and we went into Huddersfield to meet up with Mark. That was April 2019, I want to say. So that's when Magic Rock were already owned by Lion. And I did enjoy my visit to the tap room. It did have a bit of a different feel to with all the outside work they've done and the, some of the extra stuff they've done inside than where we went before the Leeds Crimbo Crawl back in 2015. So I think people would will it, they would literally will it to become the magic rock of old. Not sure it's ever going to happen though. No, I, I, sadly, I don't think it will. Um, like you say, I think the best you can hope for is that maybe a local consortium steps in. They've got very strong links to Huddersfield town now, haven't, haven't they? They don't just supply the, the beer in the stadium. There's also been some other collaborations yeah. that they've done with, with the football club. Maybe there's some potential exit route for them there. But I think, I, th I think out of the two of them, I think, as, as we've said, I, th I think Magic Rock have a better chance of future success than, than, than Forpier to, although, the, the the beer world is a very different place in, in 2022 than it was in 2015. And there are now so many breweries that have stepped up and filled the voids that both Magic Rock and Fjord Pure have left behind them as they've gone on into supermarkets and being owned by multinational corporations. Yeah, but supermarkets supermarkets on their own doesn't mean that they, that, that, that on its own, you know, Thornbridge are in supermarkets and we still have a, a very deep rooted love of Thornbridge. That's that, that's true, but we've 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 also also said that when that when a 
brewery steps up and starts selling their beer into supermarkets and independent bottle shops stop selling them we've always said that there's always read someone else ready oh yeah to step yeah, up, yeah there's always we? there's always shelf space that can be filled by someone else yeah i agree with that and 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 there's a lot of innovation in 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 beer right now and you know there's a lot of new breweries coming up and i think it's a very it's a very competitive marketplace and for two businesses that have been bought by a, a global corporation that have a lot of links to a lot of things that people aren't happy with. So a lot of people have already stopped buying beers from these breweries for, for so many different reasons before you even get into well, your beer's changed and I don't like your branding anymore. But do we I don't do, like sorry, the way you do, do business. Do we think their beer has changed? I still think Cannonball changed so much from when I first tasted it to the last time I tasted it. Uh, and it's maybe a little bit like Axage. Maybe it's 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 not so much changed, but it evolved and it never quite became the beer that it was. No, Axage changed. No, I'm not, I'm not backing down on that one. I, ca- I can't comment on, on the other beers purely because I just haven't drunk any of them in so long. I might pick up maybe a Dark Arts and a Cannonball because I am now curious, given the discussion we're having. I would like to see something positive come out of this. Uh, for the people, as you, as you prefaced this at the start, Steve, I want everyone as individuals who are connected to these businesses to have their futures as safe and secure as possible. If we're talking about the brands, I only need one of the two to survive, and that'll be the one in Huddersfield. I'd, I'd agree. Actually, and that's um that's probably a very good place for us to finish our discussion on on this. Although I I, I will just say the one final point I will say is is that before anybody calls me out on being a hypocrite, of course I'm going to buy the Cannonball Run when it comes out, um because otherwise I don't have the complete set, and I have to have the complete set. Yeah, and anyway, he didn't think that he would do the complete set. Though I would have been as amazed as anyone else if that had happened. And but whether don't ever necessarily expect us to be. Uh, doing a cannibal run on the show I, I don't think we'll revisit that no i just want to say thank you to everybody that inputted a comment uh to this week's discussion obviously those that we read were were, were just um a handful of of the comments that we got a lot of the other comments were very similar to those in in terms of they were supporting one but not necessarily supporting the others but thanks to everyone for contributing and keep contributing on this discussion as well use the hashtag opinions and we will continue this discussion in the next show let's get some final thoughts on the last beers that we're enjoying this evening uh the triple's the best out of the bunch um closely followed by the golden and then i would have the uh double a bit quite a bit lower down like i said nothing actually wrong with it just not enough belgian double going on but the triple is nice and it like again it has nailed a lot of those flavors and aromas that i do like from a belgian triple and they've made it stupidly easy to drink yep i would agree that my last beer has has, has been the best of the three the flandrian the golden beer it's it's got sweet belgian notes that just need amplifying a, a little bit the other two have been have been drinkable enough but I, I i'm still questioning where this these products sit 
And I think I'm struggling to get past that and I'm not going to bang on about it anymore. But we will just say thank you <laughs> at that point to, to Sophie from, from Hacked Brewery, who, who did send me the beers to try and did invite you along to, to, to the tasting at, at the festival last year. So thanks. Thanks for thinking of us. Uh, we do appreciate the opportunity to try these. Martin, what's coming up on the next show? Uh, well, we've got a guest. Few people may have heard of this person. Not many, obviously. Um, Mr. Mark Dredge is joining us um, for a Valentine's Day recording of your favourite beery podcast. Um, Steve has promised to send rose petals to us to us both to to for the show, and he's going to be talking about his flavour wheels that you may have seen on Twitter recently and how they can be used to help find flavours and beer. So, you may find a few facts in the next show, which may be a bit too much for me and Steve, but hopefully everyone else will enjoy it. I'm really looking forward to that show. And, and again, this is one of these um, instances where I can't believe that in 10 years of doing this podcast, we've never had Mark Dredge on. Yeah, when you said that, I thought, <laughs> surely he must have been on one of the early Beer O'Clock shows. So no. We've literally taken, between you, me and Mark, between us, we've taken the best part of nine and a half years to get Mark Dredge on. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting to Mark. Uh, he's going to bring a lot of beer insight, but... He's also quite a, a very keen runner oh, as, as hell, well. So I, I think there's going to be some discussion going off in, in various directions. That's going to be a good one. So make sure you tune in for that. Thank you so much to everyone for joining us once again this week. And we'll look forward to sharing more opinions with you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.